Well, if nothing else, I know the Holy Spirit has already been at work. Yesterday, I finished up my sermon, and um, this song that we just sang popped into my head. And I was too embarrassed to send in a last-minute request for music, so I didn't. And then got here this morning, and the Holy Spirit planned it for me. So thank you, Jesus. But um, it's great to be here. It's uh, really fun for me to be leading worship with Becca this morning. Ten years ago, we were in a small group together at Fuller. Um, Eight years ago, we were at each other's weddings. Um, Three years ago, we were weekly hiking buddies. And then a little over a year ago, we both had baby girls at the same time. And uh, we haven't seen each other since. So... I guess I have to come to church to preach to see my good friend, but um, a couple months, a couple, a number of months ago now, last December, I made the plunge from the church world where I've been every Sunday morning since I graduated from Fuller uh, into the nonprofit world, um, or I guess I should say the more nonprofit world, right? Um, (laughs) And in doing that, not only do I get to lead an organization that's very, very close to my heart, but I also um, now get to guest preach occasionally at new churches. So it's nice to meet all of you and see some familiar faces. Um, When Pastor Jeff called and asked me to preach, um, he gave me a number of dates, but it wasn't until he told me all of the scriptures associated with those dates that I knew the exact Sunday that I wanted to be here um, because today's text, John chapter 4, the woman at the well, um, is without a doubt my all-time favorite Bible story. Um, I've never gotten to preach on it, but I've sure read it a lot. Um, I've reflected on it. I've done a lot of wondering about this um, living water that will eternally quench our thirst. Um, And so um, as I was reading through it this last time, preparing for this sermon, it struck me at how practical, um, but also how prophetic it is, a text for where I am today in ministry, um, now leading Door of Hope. It's a home, or really three homes, for um, women and men and children experiencing homelessness. Um, And every day when I am there, I run into men and women and children who are thirsty, Uh, Some are all are thirsty for um, homes, uh, financial security, jobs. Some are thirsty for healing from wounds caused by eviction and poverty. Um, A lot of them are thirsty for healing from domestic violence or broken homes, um, sometimes addiction. um, But all of them are thirsty. And so they come to Door of Hope looking for something to quench their thirst. But the thing is, most of them don't think that that thirst has anything to do with Jesus. Um, In fact, more often than not, when they find out that we're a Christian organization, um, sometimes they'll get defensive. They will assume that they're going to be judged in some kind of way. And so I find myself thinking a lot about what it means to be a Christ-centered homeless organization in that context. Um, So that's my context. Um, But actually, it's your context, too. Um, Because there's a whole lot of people out there who are thirsty. Everyone is thirsty for something. Uh, And most oftentimes, they don't think that their thirst can be quenched by coming to church on Sunday morning. They might be at the bar down the street, or they might have been out at a club the night before, um, or doing all kinds of other things, but nine times out of ten, they don't think that coming into church on Sunday morning is going to quench their thirst. They actually think that the church is more a place of judgment than of healing. Uh, And so this morning, I want to look at today's text 
And I want to ask the question, how do we talk to people who are thirsty for God, but who think the church can be a place more of judgment than healing? That describes a whole lot of people today, whether we want to admit that or not. Um, And so I just invite you to ponder that question as I read this text from John chapter 4. I'll be reading in the NIV. The NRSV is going to be before me. And if you're reading out of your Bible, I'm skipping a few verses just because it's a really, really long story. So we'll start in verse 6. Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up into eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming back here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews claim that the place where you must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, Believe me, a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. And then down to verse 24, God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus declared to her, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him, and many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, church, we have just read one of the most remarkable stories of conversion in the entire Bible. And here's why. Um, Because the woman that I just read about should have never, ever believed in Jesus. The woman should have never believed in Jesus because this woman should have never met Jesus. See, self-respecting Jewish men like Jesus didn't talk to women like the Samaritan woman in this story. But he did. And so part of our task this morning is going to be um, to ask how did Jesus talk to her and what made her believe? 
And I think if we're going to understand this woman's journey, we really need to personalize her. We need to really understand her. Um, and to do that, I'd like to give her a name. She doesn't have a name in this story, um, but there is a phenomenal preacher and teacher named Dr. Brenda Salter McNeil who's written a book on this woman called A Credible Witness. She asks that same question, what made this woman believe? Um, and after sitting and wrestling with this text for a long time, she decided to name this woman Sam, the Samaritan. Now, a lot of the reflections on scripture I'm going to offer this morning come from her book. Um, and so as a way to honor Dr. Brenda, but also to help us personalize her, um, I'm going to call her my friend, Sam. Uh, Sam has a bit of a sordid story. She probably wasn't the kind of person that you would invite to church on Sunday morning or over to family dinner on Sunday evening. But I want to suggest that if we consider her backstory, we will understand a little bit more about why she's made the choices she's made. Because Sam was dealt an unfair hand from the beginning. She was a Samaritan woman which means she grew up in a society that discriminated against her both because of her race and her gender. She didn't choose to be a Samaritan. That was just the hand that she was dealt. Um, but in Sam's world, that was definitely a negative. Um, Samaritans were considered biracial people. Uh, they were the product of conquest when the Assyrians had come in and conquered the Jewish people. Uh, they intermarried with many of them. And so the Samaritans were half Jew, half Gentile. And for a Jewish culture that really valued purity, God's chosen people, uh, Samaritans were really everything that Jews were against. Half-breeds and dogs were just some of the derogatory names that Jewish people used to describe Samaritans. If a Jew and a Samaritan walked by each other on a sunny street and their shadows crossed one another on the ground, According to Jewish law, that Jewish person would now be unclean. They wouldn't talk with them. They wouldn't eat with them. They stayed on their side of the tracks. We stayed on ours. Complete and total segregation. That was Sam's world. And if that wasn't bad enough, Sam was also a woman. Pious Jewish people used to have this prayer, not meaning to be sexist or derogatory, just trying to be holy, and they would pray this, I thank you, God, that I am not an imbecile, a slave, or a woman. Wow, wow right? The prayer made sense. Uh, women in that era were not as much people as they were property, first of their fathers, then of their husbands. Um, having children was really the only thing that brought them any dignity or worth, if you couldn't have them, your husband could divorce you, but that wasn't the only thing he could divorce you for. If he discovered a birth defect or if he didn't like your cooking and cleaning, watch out, ladies, right? <laughs> women couldn't divorce men, but men could divorce women, and if they did, that was pretty much it. And so Sam, this Samaritan woman, was discriminated against on her basis of her race and her gender. Um, but then there was one more thing, this double whammy. Sam was a Samaritan woman combined. 
See, Jewish leaders had all kinds of laws for different kinds of people. Jewish men, Jewish women, Gentile men, Gentile women. And according to their laws, Samaritan women uh, were what they called perpetual menstruants. Now, that's a little awkward to talk about in church on Sunday, right? But just stick with me for a second. See, when it was Jewish women's time of the month, they were sent away. They were excommunicated, and it wasn't until they went through this cleansing ritual that they could come back into society. Um, not exactly the way I would like to raise my daughter, but um, you know, hard, certainly for Jewish women, but for Samaritan women... They were permanently unclean, permanently untouchable. Whether you were a five-year-old girl or a 60-year-old woman, no one would sit by you. No one would come near you. People wouldn't touch anything you had touched. They'd make sure their kids would move away if they saw you walking down the street. If your dress brushed up against theirs, they would scooch away. 365 days a year from birth to death, the message that Samaritan women got about themselves was this, untouchable, unlovable, unworthy. What do you think that does to a person? When you are told from the beginning of your life that no one who ever looks like you is going to be on the cover of Fortune magazine or Cosmo magazine or have their presidential portrait painted, what do you think that does to a person's soul? I think it makes them thirsty. And so here Sam comes to a well on a hot day, and there Jesus is waiting, and it's only after understanding all of that stuff, baggage, history, um, that we can understand how remarkable Jesus' words were when he sees Sam and he says, will you give me a drink? She's ready. And then... The text takes this sharp right turn, if you followed it. Uh, Jesus says something that is actually such a bad conversion line, if she's really ready. Um, he says this, go get your husband and come back. Did you catch that? It's like, what? And if you're in sales, this is not how you close a deal, right? <laughs> you don't send people away when they're ready to buy. You don't mention the thing that might scare them off. Um, if you're Baptist, this is when you have an altar call. <laughs> if you grew up in Campus Crusade for Christ, this is when you get out the sinner's prayer, right? If you're Presbyterian, you probably have no idea what to do, but you might <laughs> invite them to the new members class. I'm a Presbyterian pastor. I can say stuff like that. But seriously, like, look at the text. What's up with that husband thing, Jesus? It doesn't make sense. But if we take a step back... We see that Jesus already knows Sam has issues with men. He doesn't judge it. He doesn't condemn her for it. He doesn't use it as an excuse not to talk to her. Um, but Jesus knows that Sam has issues, and he also knows that Sam can't come into this full and loving relationship with Jesus until she's ready to look at that deeper issue. And so Jesus says, 
bring your husband to me. I know, Sam. I know you've had five husbands, and I know every single one of them has let you down, so bring that to me. Bring me that fantasy that another man is going to make you happy. Bring me that fantasy that a new husband is going to solve all of your problems. Bring that to me and trade that in for living water. Well, Sam is not quite ready because the text takes another sharp right turn. See, she's a little uncomfortable looking at her issues. It's uncomfortable to look at our issues, right? And so Sam changed the subject. It's brilliant if you follow it. She says, you must be a prophet, Jesus. Well, let's not talk about my stuff. Let's talk about theology. You Jews say this about worshiping God, and we Samaritans say that about worshiping God. So what's true, Jesus? See, Sam is feeling a little exposed, and so she says, let's not get personal, Jesus. Let's get intellectual. We're great at this, right? You know, God starts to call us on our stuff. Things start to get a little too real. Um, and all of a sudden, we want to talk theology. Do we sprinkle or dunk? What about women in ministry? You think they should let drums in the sanctuary? Or what about pastors not wearing robes on Sunday? But Jesus says to Sam the same thing he says to us. He says, that's not what worship is about. That's not what I'm about. See, right now, Sam, I don't care about any of that stuff. I just want your true worship, your authentic worship. If you're broken, bring me your brokenness. If you're in pain, bring me your pain. If you're doubting, bring me your doubt because I just want you. I just want you to worship me in spirit and in truth. I'm the one that you're waiting for, Sam. See, Jesus doesn't need us to be perfect. He just needs us to be thirsty. And that's when Jesus can not only know our issues, but he can begin to free us from them. That's the work that began here in Sam. See, the world had told her she's unlovable and worthless, and so Jesus says, I know your pain, Sam, but I love you. The world had told her she's a bad person, but Jesus doesn't judge her issues. He just meets her where she's at. He says, I don't need you to be perfect, Sam. I just need you to be real. And that's when Sam gets it. That's the moment that Sam runs back to her village and she tells people that she's met the savior of the world. And it was a moment that impacted generation after generation of people who never should have believed in Jesus, but they did because of Sam. And when I thought about this story of my friend Sam, of Dr. Brenda's friend Sam, I couldn't help but also think about my friend Wendy. She came to church with me this morning. Um, Wendy is a former resident of Door of Hope. Um, she also just last year joined our board. And like my friend Sam, Wendy came to Door of Hope with some pain and some issues, but Wendy also had a direct encounter with the love of Jesus. 
the unjudgmental, unconditional love of Jesus. And today, Wendy is the one who shares about Jesus uh, with people at Door of Hope in our weekly Bible study. And so I've asked her to come up and share her story. Wendy. Well, good morning, everyone, and thank you for having me. Um, like Megan, I read um, the story of the woman at the well probably many times, but as I revisited it uh, recently, I discovered that, yeah, you know, I am like the woman at the well. The only difference is I didn't meet Jesus at the well. I met him at the door of hope. And the reason why we have similarities is because the last place you think you're going to meet the Messiah is at the well, or the last place you think that you're going to encounter Jesus is why you're homeless. Hmm. So I found myself um, homeless um, because I had to move from Oakland because of the sudden demise of my marriage. So I bought a van for $1,000 packed up my young children at the time, and we drove to L.A., and there I was going to stay with, um, I call her my sister, she is my sister, and I lived with her for about six months, but you know, as you live with someone, it's, it's very short-lived, right? You kind of feel it's time to go, and so I sought out some resources through uh, Pasadena at the um, social service agency and they gave me a listing and I called Door of Hope and I had even didn't know I was speaking to the Lord but I told the Lord in my van they're not going to have any openings like this is too good to be true home for families I called and yeah they had opening so I went in and I interviewed and spoke with them and I had my children and um, they accepted me unbeknownst to me I was way more broken than I could have ever imagined. And I know that a lot of us function because we think that we're not broken. And then when we meet Jesus, he really not only tells us how broken we are, but he assures us that, like the story, he is the living water. And once we come to him, we will never thirst again. And sure enough, I received everything I needed at Door of Hope. I was two weeks away from um, beginning my orientation at Huntington Hospital. Um, I received um, spiritual care. I received counseling. Um, we learned about financial literacy. Everything that I needed, I found at Door of Hope. And I believe that that's similar to the woman at the well. She had met her match. She had met the, the great I am. And so I'm just so thankful to Door of Hope because the entire time I was there, there was no condemnation. They didn't remind me that because of this or because of that or because of what you've done, this is why you're here. But they reminded me that, well, this happened to you, but why you're here, we can fix you, we can help you, we can show you. And sure enough, I was able to uh, finish the program. At that time, it was a year program, but I was done in seven months. And I moved um, to affordable housing. And a lot of you know there's nothing affordable in Pasadena, right? <laughs> so I was blessed to, uh, I still live in affordable housing 13 years I've, uh, since I graduated from Door of Hope. My children 
were um, two, three, and five. I think they were two, three, and five at the time. They are now 16, 17, and 18. And we, I still use all of the things that I learned from Dora Cope. My children hate the budgeting techniques. But it is what it is. We're going to do it forever. And so I'm just glad that I'm here today to assure you that even, and I know everyone in here could relate to the woman at the well in some shape, form, or fashion, but I love the fact in knowing that Jesus will meet you wherever you are. It just takes you the courage to submit, just like the woman at the well who said, okay, Jesus, Tell me about the living water. I want that living water. And so I thank God that he did allow my situation so that I could um, experience the living water. So now, um, while, while at Dorp Hope, I was discovered my life's gifts, which is teaching. So I do teach uh, Bible study at Dorp Hope every uh, Thursday night. And I thank God because I may not have ever found my gift. I don't even know if I would have ended up back in the church had I not gone to Dora Hope. But I just want to assure you that don't be afraid. He will meet you where you are, and he will repair you, and he will save you. Hmm. Amen. Amen. So let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you don't need us to be perfect. You just need us to be thirsty. And so I pray, God, that you would work through our brokenness, that you would meet us where we are, and that you would, through that brokenness, help us understand other people's pain, help us to love them. Help us to have your same kind of non-judgmental love. Through our actions, through our embrace, help us to show people you, Jesus, that you are the living water who will eternally quench their thirst and ours. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand as we sing one more song together this morning?